Some of the most fun I get to have is working with our other pastors and pastors who are part of our Greater Brentwood family, like Jamie Thompson, who pastors uh, the Reborn Community Church in Chicago, in Garfield Park there that we've been working with for the last several years. Well, a few years ago, uh, when Jamie was trying to get into the routine of preaching every week, and, and that's a different skill set to learn to be ready to preach every Sunday. I tell the guys, uh, there are three days in your week, the Sunday you preach, the day before you preach, and the day after you preach, and that's pretty much your whole week. And getting ready and being able to be uh, prepared on Sunday morning, uh, day, week after week after week, is a different skill set, and Jamie was having to learn this, and he was uh, a lot of anxiety and a lot of panic. So we brought him down here, we spent several days with him, and I said, now, <clears throat> have you ever planned your sermons out? No, so we spent several days planning his annual sermon plan. And one of the things you do is you ask what is important in your community? What are those days that you have to pay attention to or your church will not think you're relevant at all? So what is it? And Jamie, south side of Chicago, his immediate answer was Black History Month. I have to say something during Black History Month. Okay. So we started talking about how we're going to preach the month of February in Chicago. And I asked him, I said, did you know that most of the civil rights leaders were Christians? Most of them were, you know, deeply involved in church, had strong testimonies. And we talked about some of those. So the idea that we came up with was we would find significant civil rights leaders and we would share their testimony and their favorite Bible verse would be the Bible verse that Jamie preached on. It was a great series. It was fun. One of them, and of course him being from Chicago, he didn't know this great story of George Washington Carver. Do you know him? George Washington Carver is a very important person in the history of the state of Alabama. Uh, if you go to Enterprise, Alabama, you'll see a very unique statue. It's a statue to a bug. Uh, and right in the center square there is this huge statue to a boll weevil. Because the boll weevil plague came through and ate all the cotton in South Alabama and forced the farmers to find other ways to, uh, uh, to make a living. And that's one of the reasons that the lower half, what we call L.A., lower Alabama, uh, <laughs> began to diversify itself. And this guy was huge, okay? He was the one who started, who figured out that you just can't plant cotton every, every year. You will destroy the soil. And if you plant other crops, peanuts, soybeans, those kind of things, you will actually enhance the soil so when you rotate cotton back in, then cotton will grow better. And it was this guy. Uh, George uh, Washington Carver came to Tuskegee Institute, the Tuskegee Airmen trained part of this institute. Uh, Booker T. Washington was the president of Tuskegee Institute and brought George Washington Carver, who was the preeminent botanist uh, at the time in, in the United States, got him to come to Tuskegee. There wasn't even a lab. Uh, so he sent his students out to the junkyards and to the garbage uh, uh, dumps of uh, surrounding areas uh, to get enough jars and candles and everything else that they were using uh, to do their experiments. Uh, and he was the one who found out that there were 300 things you could do with a peanut. Peanut butter? How many of y'all love peanut butter? 
George Washington Carver. Let's give him a hand right here. That's him. Okay? So I, got, I told to Jamie, I said, now, Jamie, when your people come in, I want you to give them a peanut. All right? And I want them to hold that peanut the whole time you preach. And here's your line. George Washington Carver did 300 things with a peanut. Imagine what God can do with you. I can't believe I gave that away. <laughs> I just, he packed it up and took it right on to Chicago with it. Well, can you imagine coming to a place and not having a laboratory to do your work? having to clean out an old garage and go pick up scraps and garbage so you can do the work that literally saved parts of Alabama from a poverty from which they would never recover if he had not done his work. So we're proud to celebrate Black History Month and I'm proud to tell you about a man who is important in the history of the great state of Alabama. And as he reminds us, if he can figure out 300 things to do with a peanut, imagine what God can do with you. George Washington Carver was a deeply committed Christian who believed that finding out more about how God made flowers and plants was to sit and have a conversation with the Creator Himself. So we're glad uh, on this month to remind you of people like George Washington Carver and Black History Month. And, and oh yeah, here is Joseph Walker's Twitter handle. <laughs> Telling me he celebrated Black History Month at Brentwood Baptist Church. <clears throat> I talked to him earlier last week and I said, hey, we celebrated Black History Month. He said, yeah, I heard. So. <laughs> Uh, some of you have, have uh, pulled me aside and told me that you have run your genealogy, and you've run your genealogy all the way back to royalty in Europe. It's amazing how many of you come from royalty. <laughs> we can't find one descendant of Jack the Ripper. Everybody's the sons and daughters of kings and queens. My father would never let us do a genealogy. He, he, we would ask, hey, Dad, we want to do it. No, 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 no. Why? The relatives I know scare me to death. <laughs> Why would I go want to find a whole bunch of new ones? So we tried. On my mom's side, we can go back. We can go way back on my mom's side. My dad's side, we can go back one generation. We can go back to his father, John Robert Glenn. But there's nothing on John Robert Glenn. No birth certificate, nothing in a courthouse, nothing. He just all of a sudden appears as my, as my father's father. We don't know where he came from. We don't know what happened. Now, there's all kind of stories about that time in South Mississippi. Now, you have to remember the time and what's going on. 
Uh, it is a very, very poor time. Health uh, care is almost non-existent. Uh, it wasn't unusual for parents to die and leave a child on his own. It wasn't unusual for a child to be separated or run off or literally told to leave because there were too many kids in the house. Those kind of stories happened. So we don't know if, if he just showed up and made his living in South Mississippi. We don't know if he was adopted by one of the families. That happened all the time. Uh, there would be a young man, if you could work the farm, then a family would adopt you. And you can come work, you can come eat at this table, and sooner or later you would take the family name and you would take the family tradition. I wonder what that must have been like for young John Robert Glenn. To one day to not have a family, and then one day have a family. To one day not know who you are, and the next day to know who you are. For one day to be homeless, and the next day to have a home. I wonder what that was like. But you do know, don't you? You see, that's the whole gospel story, isn't it? We were once no people, now we are the people of God. Is that news to you? It was news to the first people who heard it too. So stand with me in honor of God's Word as we pick up the story in the fifth chapter of Mark's Gospel. His mother and his brothers came and they were standing outside. They sent word into Jesus and they called for him. And a crowd was sitting around Jesus and they told him, look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside, and they're asking for you. And Jesus replied to them, Who are my mother, and who are my brothers? And looking at those who were in the circle around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, my mother. This is God's Word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. As we gather around your table, remind us of who we are and who you are. That we have a name, we have a family, we have a place, and we have a Father. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Sometimes when you read how Jesus responds to certain situations and people, you... you oh. Well, it seems that he kind of goes out of his way to make it harder than it has to be, right? I mean, here we are, we're, we're, we're having a nice moment. Jesus has been teaching, been healing people. A lot of people are gathering around. His family shows up. His biological family shows up. And they send word in, your, your mother and your brother and your sisters are outside. Now, Jesus could have said a lot of things here. He could have said, that's nice. Or I'm glad they're here. Or I love my mom. You know, he, he, could have, 
He, he could have said a lot of different things. He did not have to drop a hatchet like this. Really, sometimes when you read this, don't you wish you could kind of pull Jesus inside and say, you know, whoa, 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 there's a better way to do this, Jesus. Right? You could acknowledge your mom. Uh, you could say, you know, she was a great lady and I love my mom, but now we have a spiritual family. You know, you could have you talked church over them. Everybody would have been fine. But no. He goes out of his way to remind his mother, his brothers and his sisters that he won't be controlled by them. His ministry will not be limited to what they can figure out, to what they can understand. And you know what happened. There's nothing that messes up a family any more than somebody succeeding. Right? Show up for Thanksgiving. Oh, here's Mr. Smarty Pants. <laughs> right? Got a big degree now. Aren't you something? Look at your car. We know who you are. Right? Nothing messes the family up that somebody's deceived. You understand what's going on? Jesus has been preaching. Jesus has been healing people. Jesus has been driving out demons. And you know, as soon as he did one thing, somebody ran back to his family. Hey, do you know what your brother did? Hey, did you hear what Jesus did? Hey, and you know what they did? Mom, Mom, Jesus is doing all that again. Mom, can we go talk to Jesus? I mean, surely there was one brother going, hey, mother, listen, I, you know, I love you. I love our family. Uh, surely there's something wrong with Jesus. <laughs> he thinks he's the son of God. Uh, you know, we were here when he was here. We kind of we know. Brushed our teeth in the same sink. Let's go get him. He needs help. So they go. They don't go inside. They stand outside. Send word in. Oh, you're Jesus' mom? Just a minute. Tell Jesus his mom's out here. Tell Jesus it finally gets to Jesus. Your mother's out here. I wonder if Jesus thought of all the people who know me, you should know best of all. He was 12 when she and Joseph took him to the temple. Remember the story? Big deal to be a little boy going to the temple. Big deal. This is a rite of passage. This shows you're becoming a man. This is some kind of day. And so they go, they do what they're supposed to do, and they get ready to leave. And they think Jesus is with some other family or one of the other kids, and they leave. They leave for a solid day. Start to camp out and realize Jesus isn't with us. He didn't come. Now we got a solid day to go back. We have a solid day of looking for them. Have you ever been a, a, a parent and your kids messed up and you can't get to them fast enough? Right? We got three days for daddy to get mad. We got three days for mama to get mad. And you know what they're going. When I find him, if he's not already dead, I'm going to kill him. Okay? Um, beat that boy with an interview. You know, I thought he was with you. I thought he was with you. I thought you were in charge of him. I ask you to do one thing. Keep up with Jesus. You can't even do that. Well, by the time they find him, you know they are boiling. Mary does the mother thing. She doesn't let daddy speak. Joseph is right there. You know how mad your daddy is? He's right here. 
Why did you do this to your father and I? Your father and I are showing, but your father is just beside himself. Look at it. See, does, does that whole daddy thing? Jesus answered, you know I had to be about my father's business. I imagine Mary and Joseph looked at each other and said, yeah, we knew that. We just didn't think it would be when you were 12. This is one of the few times, and I take that back. There were a lot of times that people tried to control Jesus, tried to limit him. You can do this, Jesus, but you can't do that. You can go here, but you can't go there. You can go this far, but no further. Uh, it's his family, it's your religious leaders, it's the political leaders. It's everybody trying to limit him, to hold him into what they can't understand and what they can explain. And he will not be held back, not from this moment. Not for the moment that he came. Here are my family. Here are my mother. Here are my brothers. Here are my sisters. Who are they? They're the ones who do the will of God. How do you do the will of God? You do it by knowing the Father himself and his presence inside of you because you can't do that by yourself. He has to be the one teaching. He has to be the one guiding. The way I recognize my family is how obedient they are to the Father's teachings. That's how I know you belong here. Have you been reading in the paper about some of these people who are doing the 23andMe, the genetic thing? Did you read where it's blowing families apart? Huh? Because two sisters did it, 23andMe, find out their DNA, and they found out they have different dads. <gasps> Boy, but that made Thanksgiving interesting. thought the guy who was my dad, when I found out he wasn't, a lot of you are like that, aren't you? If I could run the spiritual DNA test on you, would it come back that God is your father? Or is somebody else your dad? You know, when I was growing up, everybody in my little Mill Village church was brother. That used to be the funniest thing in the world to us. I was feeling like everybody was brother. You know, you were never at home to help with the chores, but now I come to church and you're my brother. All right. We used to have all kind of fun with that. Then I did a little reading, did a little research, and I began to understand how sacred this phrase is to the church. Amen. See, it wasn't unusual, not unusual at all, for a time when the church would be worshiping and somebody walk in and say, I have decided to follow Christ. Yay! I can't go back home. My father's disowned me. My mother won't say my name. My brothers and sisters are trying to hurt me. I can't go back home, but I want to follow Christ. That happened all the time in the early church. And you know what the church would do? The pastor would stand up and go, there's your brother. Go sit next to him. And the older guy on the end, 
That's your dad. That's your mom. They're your family. So to call somebody brother, call somebody sister, wasn't a joke at all. Because see, in the time of Jesus, if you were cut out of your family, you were cut out. It was your father who taught you your job. And now without your father, you would not have any economic uh, security. Without a family, you wouldn't have any kind of uh, social, secure, uh, social security at all. They didn't have government funding. If you got sick, if you got uh, laid up for some reason, your family would take care of you or no one would take care of you at all. And so now, in this broken and fractured world, orphans show up here every Sunday. Don't know who their dad is. Maybe dad left. Maybe dad abused them. I don't have a dad. I don't have a family. Sure you do. And Paul brags on what Jesus has done in the book of Romans. He gets to chapter 8 and he says, It's the Spirit of God himself who testifies to you, who tells you that you are his child. Who tells you to approach the Father, Abba, Daddy. That's what it means, Daddy. If you go to the Middle East now, you, you'll always hear a bunch of kids in the street yelling, Abba, Abba, Abba. It's Daddy. Let me tell you what this is. Okay, you remember this scene? Mary and Joseph, uh, Mary and, and your brothers and sisters are outside, Jesus is inside. What Paul is saying, because of what Christ has done, because of who you are in Christ. Don't stand at the back. Go up close and talk to your daddy. You're not lost. You're not an orphan. You have a father. You have a name. You have brothers and sisters, whether you want us or not. That's family. See? Family, you don't have any say. I remember when my father took me to the hospital to see my brother for the very first time. He had just been born. I remember how the hospital looked. I remember he picked me up and held me, and it was this whole room full of babies. I thought I was going to get the Jews. Do you know what my dad did? He pointed to a little messed up blanket and said, that's your brother. We brought him home and he never left. <laughs> I didn't have any choice. Daddy made that choice. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. Here's what I do know. 
The Father says you belong here. The Father says there's a place for you at the table. And we'll just have to scoot over. There is no more profound way that we celebrate that we are family than coming to the Lord's table. And the deacons will now be taking their place in preparation of serving you. And as they do, you use these moments to prepare your own heart for the receiving of the bread and the receiving of the cup. If your Father is God the Father, you have a place at this table. So come sit.